This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In this week's show, we talk about the GOP Presidential Primary Forum and debate, and the State Executive Council's rejection of a Planned Parenthood contract. I'm Clay Wirestone, a columnist and editor for The Monitor, and I'm joined this week by Casey McDermott, a political reporter. Good to be here. Good to have you here. And by politics editor Jonathan Van Fleet. Hello, John. Hello, Clay. Happy to be back. It's good to have you back after your absence last week. Mm. You were, it was noted in the podcast. Thank you. Um, um, Good to be missed, I guess. Uh, Yeah. So this week, we will start off with some uh, state news uh, that just happened this morning, Wednesday morning, and that is the Executive Council, uh, by a vote of three to two, turning down a contract with Planned Parenthood. Uh, The national organization had been under uh, a lot of scrutiny lately for some undercover videos uh, highlighting uh, the donation of fetal tissue and um, whether or not the organization is profiting from that, so on and so forth. So, Casey, uh, you were there this morning. So tell tell us a little bit about that vote. I was. So one of the first things that uh, they did during the discussion was to unbundle this vote because it was actually not only a vote on family planning services at Planned Parenthood locations, but also on three other organizations um, throughout New Hampshire, um, including one in Concord, the Concord Feminist Health Center. Um, so taking those three aside, not Planned Parenthood, those three organizations had their funding approved um, four to one, um, in which case only uh, David Wheeler, um, a Republican executive counselor, objected. The two other Republicans on the council, Joe Kenny and Chris Sununu, signed off on the funds for those three centers. But those same two counselors objected in the end to... Um, providing the funds for the Planned Parenthood locations. And um, last time around, uh, this has been a subject of recurring debate Mm -hmm. at the state level, even before these videos were released. Um, In 2011, the Executive Council, um, at that time it was Republican-controlled as well, um, voted to reject the contract with Planned Parenthood. Now, that time around, it was mostly federal funds that were at stake, and the federal government was able to come in and basically you know, redirect those in a different way rather than going through the executive council. Um, This time around, we're looking at state funds. So it's unclear right now whether there is really any alternative for Planned Parenthood at this point. Um, And what you saw today was uh, Chris Sununu was widely regarded as being the swing vote on this. He was very adamant at stating again and again and again at the meeting um, that he is pro-choice, that he has no trouble you know, with the idea of that as a concept um, or, you know, with the idea of providing access to reproductive health services to women. Um, he even said that, you know, Planned Parenthood in New Hampshire has done good work in, in, in his district and elsewhere. Um, he said, though, he framed his argument on choice kind of in a different way, though, where he said that in his district, Planned Parenthood really is one of the only options, if not the only option, for women who are looking to get the services that are in question. So what he wanted to push for was for the state to look at other alternatives um, for providers that could offer these services in his district and elsewhere. And this was also discussed in the context of 
him being troubled, as were other Republicans on the council, by uh, the content of these videos. And all three of them had said, um, you know, Councillor Wheeler probably most forcefully that uh, they think Governor Hassan and the state should look um, at investigating Planned Parenthood in New Hampshire to see, you know, whether any of the practices that have come under scrutiny elsewhere are happening here. Um, Hassan, meanwhile, has said that she has no plans to do that. Um, Planned Parenthood of Northern New England does not provide the kind of fetal tissue um, donation, even as an option right. right now. And that basically in the absence of someone saying, you know, bringing forward a claim or bringing forward some kind of evidence um, where there's none right now, that there's something amiss here that she has nothing to go on um, and right. that that would set a bad precedent. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's really kind of the, one of the basic points of, of disagreement here which is that, again, Planned Parenthood of, of Northern New England does not offer, does not offer the choice of fetal tissue donation, which is, which is an opt-in choice everywhere. I mean, right. it's, it's not as if any Planned Parenthood center actually, you know, does that without um, the patient's consent. It, it's always a, a consent situation. And at least Planned Parenthood's claim is that they um, are forbidden from profiting mm -hmm. uh, from, from, the donation or the sale of, of fetal tissue that they can they're just covering their costs yeah and one of the other things that um chris sununu and, and the other republicans uh had brought up is that you know they they understand that they're saying you know that this doesn't happen here but what um chris sununu had said was that you know he thinks that perhaps there's a little bit of a double standard here he worries that you know if we were dealing with any other organization that operated on the national level that had come under this kind of um, scrutiny or other, you know, congressional investigations and had questions raised in the same manner that they're being raised around Planned Parenthood, that he said that that would cause, he thinks that would cause the executive council to perhaps pause a little bit more than, than he felt was, was happening right now. One of the questions that, that comes to my mind, Casey, and you were talking about what, um, Chris Sununu was talking about in terms of choice and options for women seeking reproductive mm -hmm. health services, particularly in the areas mm -hmm. that he represents. I mean, is there really another option, though, at this point? Are there other choices? And, and if so, what, what, what's his proposal for that? He says that he's been talking to other people in the area that he's, you know, attempted to talk to the governor, to the state, to DHHS about looking into these alternatives. Um, no specifics right now. And I admittedly don't have you know, any materials in front of me about kind of, you know, reproductive services and access um, in the areas that we're talking about. Um, you know, talking to Governor Hassan afterward when she was talking to the media, um, she had noted that, you know, right now the women and men who would be at a loss um, could perhaps turn to some of these other locations that did still get funding for um, you know, cancer screening, STD prevention, some of the other services that were at stake here, um, but that she and, you know, other Planned Parenthood supporters um, were, you know, very troubled by the idea that this is going to have a significant impact on um, the, the people who do rely on them 
Mm-hmm. And to be fair, Planned Parenthood does receive funding from other sources, and this doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that these clinics are going to close shop and stop offering right. these services. So no. there's still an option for people to access care yeah. at Planned Parenthood Yeah, it's locations. not, I mean, it's not like they're going to shutter their doors right. tomorrow. Um, the organization at this point is saying that, you know, it may result in a reduction of hours. It may result in a reduction of services. I haven't received, um, you know, more specific examples at this point. And this is, of course, all very new. Um, But, you know, I think the assumption is that the organizations will still continue on, but perhaps not at the level that they are right now. And and John, there's a, there's a, I mean, there's always a political element when you're talking about the executive council and the, and the governor, but mm-hmm. there are some sp- sp- particular kind of political dynamics in play uh, here with this vote, right? I mean, if you're talking about uh, the, the the main actors here, is someone like uh, Chris Sununu and Maggie Hassan. That's true. Um, well, I, I viewed one of the main actors here as Dave Wheeler, who was off the council um, and then came back on the council. And so he had asked uh, Governor Hassan to actually withdraw the contracts from consideration today. He wrote an open letter to her earlier this week, kind of challenged this sort of thing, created a showdown where her action by not removing the contract perhaps gave his side more support. But, you know, the, the interesting ideology behind these votes for me isn't necessarily um Depending on how you look at at how the vote is painted, a vote against the funding is a vote against women's health care is how the Democrats would like to Mm -hmm. like to paint it. And uh, the Republicans would say that's not what they're they're voting for. They want to make sure that they're giving funding to an agency that uses the money in a way that is correctly specified. Mm -hmm. And so you and I, Clay, have talked about how that ideology breaks down that if you give money to an organization that provides abortions even they say even if they say the money doesn't specifically go to abortions well the administrative costs the electricity bill it mm-hmm. it helps the organization uh, as a whole which also conducts abortions so that's how these these votes kind of go along these these lines you can justify it one way or the other depending on your position right and, and but kind of what I was getting at too with with Chris Sununu like certainly in terms of um, the governor's race next year he's mm-hmm. certainly one of the uh, folks on the GOP side that people are talking about as a potential candidate for governor and if uh, governor Hassan were to perhaps challenge another prominent politician, uh, New Hampshire, uh, Kelly Ayotte for, for U.S. Senate, there's also speculation that Colin Van Ostern would be the logical uh, Another Democrat, executive counselor. Another executive yeah. counselor. And, and he, is, he was uh, very much in, in, in support of Planned Parenthood today, vocally and visually. Yeah, I think he really saw some of the, um, the stage being set for a few potential matchups. You had uh, Colin Van Ostern, um, who was saying that, you know, he found it troubling that three men were deciding the fate of so many women in New Hampshire. He's been a very vocal pro-choice advocate. Um, you had Chris Sununu, who was trying to walk this line between, you know, I want to make sure that we're voting on this responsibly, but he also didn't want to compromise his reputation as 
um, someone who, who says that he is pro-choice as well, but also is Republican and has, you know, that can be sometimes a tricky mm-hmm. place to be. Um, and then you had Governor Hassan, who was very forcefully um, rebutting uh, Chris Sununu, uh, David Wheeler, um, and she, you know, she made women's health issues, I think, a central focus point of her campaign last um, during the midterms. So this is definitely an area where she has uh, become kind of, you know, seasoned in, in arguing um, on, you know, on these organizations behalf mm-hmm. in the past. So there'll be um, a lot more to keep track of in the future, probably, as this as this shakes out. Before we stop, mm-hmm. it was also of note that previously when the executive council had voted against Planned Parenthood funding, the federal government decided to give the money directly to Planned Parenthood, therefore bypassing the state. But as Casey was pointing out earlier, that these contracts were state money. So it really does leave the funding in question for for these services going forward. It's not there there could be an opportunity for a compromise, but we do know how compromise has been going in New Hampshire later. Not so swell. But for political junkies in New Hampshire this week, it's really all about the GOP presidential primary. On Monday, we had 14 of the contenders in both real and virtual form show up at St. Anselm College in Manchester for a forum. It wasn't quite a debate. It was kind of a speed dating uh, style event where all of the candidates went on stage a couple of times. And then tomorrow on Thursday, uh, many of the same candidates will come together in Cleveland, Ohio for the first formal debate of the primary season sponsored by Fox News. John, just kind of talking about these these couple of uh, debate slash forum events that have gone on this this week, what kind of is, has been standing out to you? Listening to the forum, uh, I listened to a part of it in the on the ride home because uh, I was here for a while, and then uh, I turned it on at home and and saw some of it too. I was I was astounded by the the short amount of time, the lack of depth. You know, it was like I was I kept waiting for something to sink into, but you know, it because of the format, uh, you'd have questions, so a couple quick answers. You know, there wasn't a lot there, and the candidates weren't able to redirect and really address each other in a typical debate. So it was it was interesting in that way, but. Earlier this year, there was a, a, a similar candidates forum down in Nashua, and, and the, the candidates were given far more time. And so I felt that you, you, you were able to pick up on the nuances between the candidates and their positions. This was so quick, as mm-hmm. you said, speed dating. I think AP reporter Kathleen Ronane may have coined that on Twitter, but she was absolutely correct. You were like, hmm, I'm not sure I really like this person, you know? And then next, here comes the next person. So the, I was really struck by that, by the, mm-hmm. the, the the quick nature. But from a planning perspective, you, you got you to gotta think about what a logistic, logistical challenge it is, is because you've got these 14 people, you want to give them adequate time and also put it into a format that people can easily digest if they're not like at their at their radio or television for hours on end the earlier form 
uh, forum in Nashua was uh, a two-day event. Yeah, right. I think um, just kind of contrasting those two events, it's, I had to remind myself and I was reminded in talking to the voters there that, you know, this is a different audience than what we were talking about at that earlier forum. I think that what you saw there, it was a lot of the donors, a lot of the who's who of activists, the people who are super plugged into the Republican primary here. Um, This was really an introduction for the casual voter, the person who is not, you know, glued to every poll, to every think piece, you know, things like that. Um, So really what you did see, they were talking very, very fast. Um, It was like these condensed, you know, someone would, the, the moderator, Jack Heath, would ask a question about, you know, let's say immigration or the economy and what you saw was, you know, the candidates sometimes acknowledging, sometimes not acknowledging the actual issue at hand, and then very quickly redirecting to their uh, stump speeches or talking points that I and other people who had been following these candidates for a few months have heard over and over again. But the people who were watching the other night might not have necessarily heard it. So I think mm-hmm. the candidates were definitely in kind of a tight spot where they have to balance, okay, you know, how do I present myself and introduce myself, but how do I also stand out in a way that, you know, makes me memorable in this sea of so many others who are competing here? Well, and I think that's one of the most, uh, one of the most interesting points, the, the notion of trying to be distinctive when you're one of 11 people on a stage. There were 11 people actually in the auditorium and three, three others, there were three senators who were beamed in via satellite. When you say beamed in, I'm picturing them like holograms, which well, I wish they were, but they were not. It was like a, they set them all, it was the three senators who were, who stayed in D.C. for the Planned Parenthood vote. It was Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and, and, Marco, and Rubio. Marco Rubio. And they were all, um, Marco Rubio actually has kind of a funny uh, Snapchat that he is operating this campaign. So his campaign had Snapchatted a picture of the three of them, and it's basically like, sitting in a room that looks about the size of the, the closet that we're in right now, um, just kind of hanging out, waiting. We're not to, technically in a closet, technically but it's a smaller closet, room, yes. a small room. Um, so they all kind of took turns talking to the camera in there. But anyway. but yeah, but it, but with this kind of arrangement of, of candidates, there was a real onus on some of the folks who were particularly in the back of the pack mm-hmm. to try to gain some mm-hmm. attention, get some notoriety, and, and in some cases... You know, that maybe even backfired a little bit. You know, the South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, for instance, made a somewhat awkward uh, reference to President Bill Clinton's, um, you know, sex scandal from mm-hmm. his presidency and trying to talk about the, the Clinton's truthfulness. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the audience was instructed not to clap or not to respond. So it was kind of hard to gauge um, how one-liners like that went over. Um, I know he's he's definitely, that's not the first time that he's taken a swipe at Bill Clinton. Um, and to be honest, I don't know that it necessarily came across as a gaffe too much to those who were in the audience, but again, it was difficult to tell. Um, but I think that, I mean, honestly, I have trouble picking anyone who stood out. Um, and that also might just be a function of the fact that a lot of what I heard was very similar to what I personally have been hearing. So it might be different, um, for someone who hasn't seen these guys and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, very often, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's also just that whole notion that in New Hampshire, we see 
you know, we've seen most of mm-hmm. these people, these candidates mm-hmm. speak at length mm-hmm. at multiple events. And we know that there's, you know, they might have some talking points, but they're certainly not as short as mm-hmm. and, and brief as the, yeah. as the, I think what they said the at the, is the debate. Many the of these, yeah, many of them are very verbose, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is, is a diplomatic way of putting it. Um, so yeah. And, uh, I think one of the other interesting things was, you know, not it was the elephant in the room was kind of the the one elephant or Republican who was not in the room, um, who was Donald Trump. Um, And he had uh, declined to attend, um, citing a number of different things, but mainly that he was um, upset over a an editorial from the union leader, which was the uh, news organization that was hosting the event in New Hampshire. and um, but, you know, it was it was unmistakable that, you know, his absence was so notable because there's been all of this buzz around like, oh, what's the debate going to be like on Thursday? Because it, it's a lot of people are expecting it to be somewhat of a spectacle um, with his presence because he is so unfiltered. Um, but this was, you know, you didn't have a lot of personal attacks at each other, not a lot of swipes. It was very, you know, get on stage, do your thing, sit back down, everyone shakes hands, everyone looks, you know, buddy-buddy at the end. Um, Although there was yeah. some some good uh, C-SPAN footage of the front oh, row. Oh, was excellent. <laughs> I would highly recommend to all of our listeners out there looking up the uh, Bloomberg Politics Supercut of the uh, candidates because they have them all sitting in the front row watching each other and there's some really great reactions on there. Um, so then turning to uh, turning to the actual debate that we're having uh, that we're having that uh, that Fox News is having tomorrow. Uh, so John, what's so who actually made the cut? What's what's who's in and who's out? Would you like me to answer that question or would or would you like to talk a little bit more about the union leader editorial that pissed off Donald Trump? Uh, well, what what was the union leader editorial? Then? Okay, so this I thought I thought I might have you there, Clay. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. Well, tell me, tell me, please. So the the this was after uh, Trump's comments about McCain being his type of hero, and the union leader uh, wrote a very sarcastic piece. I believe it was authored by Drew Klein. Very sarcastic uh, editorial about Donald Trump's right. What a wuss John McCain is. You know, how how dare he not take advantage of his status as an admiral's son and and stay behind in the concentration camp with two broken arms and a broken leg and let others out before him. What a pansy <laughs> and that type of stuff. And so they, they sarcastically took Donald Trump's argument to its nth degree. And I don't think that's that well. <laughs> well, and and one of the one of the things we we know about um, Donald Trump from his uh, his uh, his tweets, for instance, and his public statements is that he has a, a pretty thin skin about things like that. He he reads what is written about him, and he he remembers it. He he's famous for sending handwritten notes to reporters who um, write stories about him, and this is on both ends. I've seen reporters post them on Twitter, and sometimes they're nice, sometimes they're not so nice. But he, you know. Definitely is very uh, up to date on what's being written about him. Well, he is, he is a topic that he cares very deeply about. Uh, it's a very cleverly penned article, mm-hmm. editorial. So, um, so yes, but and and this is the 
the real attraction of tomorrow night's debate, which is that center stage, because he is he is leading most of the national and state polling at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, Donald Trump will be be right there in the middle of all of the all of the other candidates. Okay, so to answer your question, yes. who's of in? earlier? Who's in? My earlier question. All right, so the the polls do say that Donald Trump is lapping the field, meaning he's got twice as much support. Uh, compared to the next closest candidate, who's typically Jeb Bush. So we've got we've got Trump, we've got Jeb Bush, we've got Scott Walker, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, Ben Carson, Mike Huckabee, Chris Christie, and John Kasich. Those are the ten who are in, and we've got a whole bunch of others who are out. Those on the outs: Carly Fiorina, Rick Perry, Bobby Jindal, Graham. Rick Santorum, George Pataki, Jim Gilmore, all right? And so the interesting thing about this this format and and developing who's in and who's out based on polls is the margin of error, right? So the most recent Granite State poll um, released earlier this week of the GOP field has a 3.6% margin of error. I don't want to get too geeky on the numbers here, but basically what that means is the bottom folks in... Of the field, <clears throat> meaning Mike Huckabee, Marco Rubio, and to a degree Ted Cruz and Ben Carson, those with 5% or less, you can give the margin of error. You could make an argument that their their support is more like 1.5%. You know, you mm-hmm. could subtract the 3.6% from their numbers because it could be off by that, that variation. And you could then... Make a converse argument that anyone else that is in the two or one percent category, you could add three point six percent to them. So who makes it and who doesn't could be based on a completely faulty system. Right. I also would like to note that I found it interesting that the ten that made it are in fact the ten highest based on these national polls were also the top 10 candidates in, in the Granite State poll. So, you know, I was looking for some discrepancy. Was, did New Hampshire voters essentially like someone more than someone else that isn't on stage? And I didn't find that to be the case. Right. Well, and, and this has, of, of course, been one of the simmering stories for the last couple of weeks in the in the Republican Party, at least, is, is the notion that um, because of this margin of error uh, issue that you, that you raised, that Fox News actually is playing a pretty big role in deciding who gets to be in those 10 candidates in in their main debate. You know, they're essentially making a they're they're claiming that it's based on polls, but there's still a big judgment call to be made on 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 which 10 there there are. Mm-hmm. Um but the argument goes you got to you've got to draw the line somewhere or right. else again when you get into a format that's unmanageable for viewers to uh, digest in a concise amount of time. And the rest of the candidates who aren't in the main debate will be at the, um, I've heard it referred to, you know, I, I don't know if all of them appreciate this, but at kind of the kids table of the debates. Um, Let's say junior varsity. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's better. Um, but I think that Fox might be calling it like the happy hour debate or something like that. Um, but it's going to take place ahead of the the actual debate tomorrow night. Um, so they won't be entirely devoid of, of you know, media exposure there. They just won't get prime time. Mm-hmm. And and in terms of like what actually happens at the debate, you know, as, as we've mentioned before on talking about Monday night's forum, I believe there was actually not a single mention of Donald Trump that evening. Mm-hmm. Like truly no one wanted to, to talk about him. That's clearly not going to be possible 
on Thursday night. So you think this will be the dump on Trump debate? Well, that's the question. What I mean, what what I mean is it is it something where everyone decides that they have to go after Donald Trump, or do they feel like maybe that gives him too much power mm-hmm. in the debate? There have been some when people address him. Well, there's varying degrees of how they address Trump, but he does have allies, you know, because Christie is a friend and therefore doesn't really say so much. And even Jeb Bush, when he uh, when he addresses Trump, he does so in complimentary ways, but tries very carefully to draw distinctions between the, the policy differences between him and Donald Trump without saying without attacking him personally. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I know that uh, of of those candidates that will actually be on the stage with uh, with him t- uh, tomorrow night, uh, you know, Ted Cruz has actually kind of gone out of his way to be complimentary to Donald Trump and Ted has actually Cruz, met met with him separately. Yeah, Ted Cruz has um, taken somewhat of a, a personal pledge this election cycle to avoid speaking ill, um, at least directly, of his uh, Republican colleagues. Now, I think an argument can be made that he kind of implicitly disses a lot of them when he talks about... <laughs> you know, being a true conservative and not compromising and things like that. Um, but yeah, he's he's trying to, I think, play nice with all of them. Um, and, and the other question becomes, you know, what, what actually is Donald Trump's goal mm-hmm. for Thursday night's debate? You know, think, what's his mission? I mean, honestly, I think that the his best move of all, I think, um, and I've heard other commentators say this, is to go out there and just surprise everyone by being um, less bombastic and less um, volatile than I think he's been in some of the other cases. Because I think right now what you're looking at is that, like, he... Uh, we've gone through kind of a cycle where, like, at first it was like, you know, you went through your stage of denial. Like, this guy isn't really running for president. Is this for real? Um now you're getting a lot of people who are paying attention to him. Um, people are starting to look at him more closely, uh, saying, okay, you know, what is he actually saying? So I think that he could surprise a lot of people if he actually comes on stage and presents himself as a kind of, you know, his own way to kind of troll the haters by saying, I am a serious candidate. You guys should take me seriously, and here's why. But he is famous for his ego. Right. So will he be able to restrain himself right. if someone hangs out some bait in front of him? Right. Right. I mean, and I, and I do think, yeah, I mean, I, I've certainly, I think I've read the same articles mm-hmm. that Casey has that, you know, the clear play for Trump, if he's able to control himself, is to be very cool and very collected. Because then if everyone else is planning to go after him at the debate, it makes them look unhinged. You know, as as opposed as opposed Which to like, him. Oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> um, but you know, he the, the the challenge about having Donald Trump behave like a conventional candidate is that he's not a conventional candidate, and that is why, I, personally, I, I would say his support is what it is. He he is he does not play by any of the standard mm-hmm. political rule books. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I mean, the risk for him in in toning it down is that. A lot of the people who are responding to him are responding to him because they're like, yeah, you know, he's saying this and he's being unapologetic about it. And that's what we like. So um, it is kind of a, a tightrope that he would walk if he were to be a little bit more subdued. Um, but I think that, I mean, maybe selfishly, I would be interested just to see what that would be like. Well, and I, I do think it's it's interesting uh, if, 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 if anyone is wants to read a, a, a a very kind of measured, sane take, and yet at the same time, interesting take on on what Trump 
Trump's candidacy means. Um, Politico published a story by Jeff Greenfield today called uh, What If Trump Wins? And actually going through and looking at past candidates that have had kind of a similar outsider appeal who have actually won election in big states where people never thought that someone like them could do well. Though One of the examples would be Jesse Ventura in Minnesota. The other example being Arnold Schwarzenegger in California. And in both of these cases, these candidates were seen as jokes originally. You know, who, who would possibly be, be interested in them? And yet, they, they ended up, uh, you know, winning, winning their statewide elections. But Trump is no former professional wrestler. Not that we, not that we know of. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so that's, so that's, it's an, it's an, it's an interesting take. And, and I think certainly as we, we watch the debate and the, what, what happens after that, that's going to be a question a lot more people are, are asking. Um, so anyway, anything else that you guys are looking forward to seeing uh, at the debate or um, next week? No, I think it's just, I, I think actually I will be interested to see what the plays of the candidates like Jeb Bush and John Kasich are. Um, cause I think especially as John Kasich starts to kind of raise his profile a little bit, he is in some ways perhaps um, in competition for the same market that Jeb Bush is looking at. Um, so I think the two of them and how they respond to each other and how they respond to the rest of the candidates, uh, Trump in particular, will um, be especially interesting. John, anything? I. I, I I am looking forward to the debate because I, I I'm very eager to see how this dynamic works out in front of uh, on the national stage in full view. So well, and and certainly for me, uh, you know, sometimes people people talk about Fox News as though it's kind of a, you know just a, a a political party organ for the the Republicans, but you know actually the the folks that they send to debates, particularly primary debates, are often quite sharp and very challenging and, you know, pose real challenges to the candidates. So um, I would not rule out some really tough questions and some really, you know, hard, hard uh, issues put to folks like Trump. Yeah. And especially because you have such a kind of wide ideological spectrum of the Republican Party represented in the candidates that you do have on there um, from, you know, very, very conservative to more moderate um, let's work across the aisle. Um, I think that that could lead to some interesting conversations. We will see it all tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. So, John, Casey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Clay. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to the Political Monitor podcast through iTunes or Stitcher. And for more coverage, you can follow the Political Monitor website at politics.conqueredmonitor.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. <clears throat> What's been standing out to me? That's that's. A, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a incredible question